Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I'm Glossy's fashion reporter, Danny Parisi, and I'm here with Glossy's editor-in-chief, Jill Manoff. Hello, Jill. Hey, Danny. Excited to chat. I am as well, and there's a lot to chat about this week. There were some big surprises, there were collaborations, and there were some very important legislation. So we're going to be talking through three big stories. The Fendaci collaboration that debuted at Milan Fashion Week, Tom Brady's new menswear brand, Brady, and the signing of California's Garment Workers Protection Act. Let's let's start though with Fendaci. Obviously, I think this is one of the most uh, one of probably one of the biggest stories of the week. Um, at the very end of Milan Fashion Week, Fendi and Versace had sort of a surprise secret show. I think they both had normal shows, and then on top of that, they had a surprise um, secret show with two co-branded collections: Fendi by Versace and Versace by Fendi. Uh, one designed by Fendi's Kim Jones, the other designed by Versace's Donatella Versace. Um, so, Joe, I have some thoughts on this, but how about you go first? What did you think of uh, what did you think of it aesthetically, and what do you think of it from a, an industry perspective? Yeah, I think um, the cheese stands alone over here. I thought it was so fun, and I just reading about what went into it. Um, I know that you know the the two houses have some, I guess, friends over the years, like from Karl Lagerfeld and Gianni Versace days. Um, they were buddies, I guess you would say. Um, and the same kind of camaraderie exists now between the two brands. Um, it's interesting. They're two. Uh, competing Italian luxury fashion houses. So obviously it's unexpected, um, although we can talk about how it's kind of been done a little bit. Um, But also, yeah, from two different conglomerates, we've got LVMH and we've got uh, Capri Holdings. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it's an odd mix, that's for sure. Um, Kim Jones said it was supposed to be fun and optimistic. That was the intention coming out of all of this. Um, and I, I agree that it was, there are, are also, you know, there are some counterpoints to consider and I would love to hear your take as well in that it does kind of call to mind, um, some of the discussion that has to do with forever. There was the, um, kind of the, the musical chairs of designers between fashion houses, the big houses. And it was kind of just like, kind of, kind of pointing to the same pool and I guess sticking in this this world of luxury fashion with people who have always been in there. Like it's, it kind of halts creativity in a way where it's like, it's Mm -hmm. always the same people. Maybe there's um, less imagination coming from this same group. So it's, you know, doubling up on luxury houses, um, double dipping, I guess, in the space. Um, Is it, could it have been, I don't know. Is is it as cool as I think it is? (laughs) Could it have been (laughs) someone... Yeah, someone a little more exciting. I mean, Kim Jones, I think, is a great designer, but he's designed at Dior and a bunch of other places. It's not really that much of a leap to have him doing stuff for Versace. I agree. It, it, I think it feels big, one, because we've been sort of starved for these big, spectacular moments. We talked about this the last couple episodes, actually, but Fashion Month, I felt like uh, was missing some of these, you know, big, surprising, spectacular kind of things. And this was a little bit of that, which I enjoyed. And I think that's part of the reason it captured a lot of people's attention. But you're right. When you when you come down to it, though, it's like, I guess it's not that big a deal for these two brands to, to work together. I actually think it's more interesting, like you said, I feel like the rivalry between LVMH and Capri Holdings is more interesting to me than any sort of competitiveness between um, Versace and Fendi. Um, just because obviously LVMH is way, way, way more established and bigger, uh, but 
Capri, I mean, when they acquired Versace a couple of years ago, that felt like a pretty big move for them to try and establish themselves as sort of the American counterpart to some of those big European conglomerates like Caring, like LVMH. Um, so if anything, I feel like that to me is a more surprising, the, the fact that it was a brand from those brands from those two holdings rather than those two brands in particular. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And it's almost, gosh, I want to say it's not your typical collab. Again, they're calling it a swap, but it, um, in that they're neither brand was trying to reach a new audience. They, it's, Space uh, may be slightly different, but it's they're all these lu- it's luxury shoppers. They're not trying to, I guess, test a new category. Like, what is the point? And it it's almost like um like we saw when Gucci collaborated with Balenciaga. Like Demna is from the streetwear world. Uh, Kim Jones is from the streetwear world. It's almost to me like reads like um a hype move, I guess, something to stir hype. Like it's limited edition. It's um. Got, probably going to be like collector's items. It's probably a one and done deal, which makes sense. And it's cool for now. Um, and the show of it all, like you said, the models that were there, that were on the runway, the, the, the front row, it was CNBC for sure. So, I mean, it's, ha- it had its moment, but then it's like, what's the long-term benefit or what? I don't know. Where do we go from here? I guess is this the yeah. the norm? Brand on brand collabs. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're you're totally right. I mean, it's basically probably the exact same consumer for both of these brands, and and usually the most interesting collaborations to me are the ones that kind of bridge a gap in sort of an unexpected way. Um, one thing that's notable, I I checked this and I felt like there was a little bit of conflicting information out there, but I believe the Fendi by Versace will only be sold at Fendi. And the Versace by Fendi will only be sold at Versace. Um, so it's not even like they're, there's no sort of like co, there's a, there's a co-branded like design element, but the actual sales and stuff are just, are still kind of segregated. So, you know, oh. I, I'm pretty sure maybe we can double check that, but I'm, I'm from what I saw, I think that's how it's going to work is that the, the Fendi stuff's only sold at Fendi, the Versace stuff's only sold at Versace. But I do think you're right that it's probably going to be a huge i mean it's probably going to be super limited and it's probably going to sell out in half of one second and then immediately go up on all the resale spots for you know thousands of dollars uh right if they were uh, smart they would have um um, only available in their stores (laughs) get people in the stores yeah absolutely it would would have been cooler had the brands had had gucci and balenciaga not have done it first honestly like it was kind of like it felt like a copycat move um but then again it is kind of catching on we know that gucci vault launched where they're collaborating with these young designers i really the only one that i knew of before i dug in was kalina strada um which is cool and we know montclair did this has done this with montclair genius and um which has been done since 2018 it's a little bit of a different um collab or a different business model where they're bringing people designers in, um, including from Valentino to, uh, design these, I guess, mini capsules around like an idea, like around, um, their signature puffer, I think was the one that kicked it off. I don't know if it's always actually. Um, but anyway, we're seeing more of this, this particular move felt copycat ish. And that's what I have to say. (laughs) Let's move on. So the, the other, uh, this one's 
maybe not the most earth shattering news, but I thought it was fun, which is that Tom Brady is launching a menswear brand called in all capital letters, Brady. Um, in fact, I think it, I think it's already launched. I think it launched on Tuesday. Um, the interesting thing about this, I mean, there's tons of celebrity brands, but the one interesting thing I saw was who's involved, which is Jens Greed from Frame, um, and designing is actually Daoyi Chow from Public School, um, who are both very cool people. We've we've been on glossy podcasts and glossy events and stuff before. So, um, and and Jens has helped build uh, several celebrity brands at this point, um, Good American and Skims, both with Kardashian sisters. Um, I don't know. What do you think of uh, What do you think of Brady? Is it gonna <laughs> so be the next? Opinions. Is it gonna be the next big menswear brand to sweep the nation? <laughs> well, I I swear to God, he is forty four years old. Okay, I think to like middle America, I can see my brother in law. Nothing against Matt. Hi Matt, buying the, into this line. He is an athletic marvel. <laughs> like he is a god of the dad bods of the world. You know, I can see this like resonating. I I don't know. Maybe we'll see. And I honestly hadn't I didn't know that he had such a a business beyond football. He has his fitness program which already sells workout gear on the website, which I would love to know how that's doing. It also is supplements. He's got a book. He's got this whole empire that he's building and he's setting himself up to retire someday we'll see um but and it's sort of it's sort of ahead. like elevated menswear kind of maybe not elevated but i mean it, it does it's not like under armor or something you know it's it seemed to me casual jackets and trousers and kind of uh yeah like dad kind of stuff you know a little bit a little slightly more elevated um and you'd yeah. think that maybe someone like tom brady might have more success with like athletic wear or something. So it's interesting that he's kind of gone into this banana Republic-y kind of uh, aesthetic, you know? Yeah. Well, I haven't seen the specific pieces. I just knew that it was like, there's a train, a, a collection for training. There's a collection for living. Like it kind of meshes the mm. two worlds, which feels very now everybody's kind of saying, you know, one uniform, I guess for, for everything, which I don't know how it's separated. Um, but what, it makes sense. Uh, we'll see. He, I, I watched, <laughs> did you watch this Kristen Cavallari show where her, um, oh, what's her husband's name? Who was a football player that retired. Anyway, no um, basically he was annoying AF just sitting around the house. He, at least he will have something to do with himself. <laughs> I was going to um, say, do you think Giselle's involved at all? Is she going to be a, an ambassador or something? I mean, I think so. These are smart business people. She had several lines um, after her modeling career or maybe at the height of her modeling career that it, I, I literally I can't find what they're doing now. Maybe they fizzled, but she had a an intimates line in Brazil, a skincare brand that we can't find anywhere. This has gone come and gone. Um, this Ipanema sandal line. She has a book. Um, anyway, they, they're exploring their opportunities, taking advantage of, of them, which makes sense. Um, but I'm with you. The collaborators are very interesting. Um, mm -hmm. Jens Greed, he's like this quiet man behind the scenes. People don't know that he's involved with Skims. They mm -hmm. don't know that his wife, Emma, Emma is... Emma Greed, yeah. Emma Greed, who is behind Good American. Well, they know her more so than him. Um how are these he reminds me of a little bit like i feel like him and matt scanlon who's ceo and co-founder of multiple brands 
-hmm. they should just get together and rule the retail world they're just they've got i feel like (laughs) they've got their hands in so many things yeah all over Um, the place yeah if anybody can do it i feel like yens can take this to the next level and dao yi talk to me because i did not know he was also he's he's got his hands in a million things as well yeah, he's got his hands in a million things. I, I mean, I think most people know him from public school um, with uh, Maxwell Osborne. Um, he's just like this really cool, like streetwear sneakerhead kind of guy. He dresses super cool. He's very, he's kind of um, soft spoken a little bit, but like super stylish. Uh, I was very, that was the thing that caught my eye the most. I mean, obviously, like you said, Jens is this retail kind of guy who's got his fingers in a million different brands um dowie to me is like a great designer he's like one of my favorite kind of low-key designers um and yeah he's got several other companies he's got um i might need to like look up the name of this real quick hold on you look it up while i go on and on because i feel like yeah yen's got has the business side dowie has the the credibility he's been doing collabs with with new balance a bathing ape puma i don't know and working in collaboration with greenhouse project greenhouse with footlocker which i did not know until i i looked this up about what he's been up to um so working with them on collabs and also um involved in a part of the app um that releases exclusive sneakers produce this with sustainability in mind anyway he's been collaborating with them closely so um he is not just public school in a nutshell i think between those two that is enough ready as a as a person um the fact that yens and dowie are both involved um and it's launching wow. in december so it's like if you, football yeah. liking football is like your brand and people are shopping for you they're going to be like he loves brady i think that's really smart <laughs> the one other thing on on this before we move on is i i've done a little bit of reporting around sports and fashion and sort of which sports uh, at least in america have kind of the, the greatest crossover with fashion and football is not one of them usually you know yeah. uh basket basketball and nba players tend to have a much 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 closer relationship with high fashion you're much more likely to see an nba player on the run or not on the runway uh but you know in the audience at a runway show um they they have that sort of pre-game walkout section where it's always a big thing of like who they're wearing and stuff people like lebron james and um you know russell westbrook i think um are extremely stylish and known for their their fashion senses football to me i don't think has that tight association with fashion i think it like you said it's a lot of like suburban dads and stuff i mean now a lot of people like football but you know what i mean i don't typically see a ton of fashion partnerships in football or with football players um but i mean tom brady does have that giselle connection so there's probably a pretty direct line from him marrying giselle to now starting a fashion company yeah for sure there are definitely there aren't a lot of football players more so basketball players on my you know i'm a fangirl of the instagram league fits follow league fits it's so fun but yeah you're right um i mean steven jackson from st louis rams back in the day he was very into fashion but anyway I, I digress. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's move on. So our last story, this one is um, a little bit less um, light, but but very important, which is that uh, just this week, California finally signed the Garment Worker Protection Act, also known as Senate Bill 62, uh, which I believe was sort of working its way through the, the halls of power for a little while now. Um, and so I, I'll do a quick breakdown of what exactly it means. Um, California employs uh, the vast majority of garment workers in the country. Um, it's one of the only places in the U.S. that does a significant amount of garment manufacturing at scale. Um, most garment workers prior to this bill 
uh, in the U.S. are paid piece rate pay, meaning they're paid per item that they produce rather than an hourly wage or a salary. Um, and those piece rate pays are horrible. It's like average of two to six cents per piece. Um, and even at, you know, working 70 hours a week, it's like $300 a week in terms of take-home pay. It's really, you know, uh, just ghastly. Um, so the the new uh, law, which was just signed by Gavin Newsom, um, requires that all employers of garment workers with employee with more than 26 employees, so it's actually not completely universal, are required to pay uh, an hourly wage of minimum $14 an hour, which is California's minimum wage. Um, so again, before that, like it really was just horrible, you know, how, how badly uh, some of these workers were being paid. But um, there was actually a good amount of pushback. Um, American Apparel, uh, I think, put out a statement about how this was going to drive even more production out of the state and stuff. And, you know, you could argue whether that's true or not, but it's also what people say anytime there's a, a wage increase or a mandatory wage increase. So to me, I mean, if we want to have more production in the U.S., which I know a lot of people always say they, they do want that, uh, paying people more to do it to me seems like a smart idea. Um, and I think that fear of like, that's gonna, you know, cause all the production to move outside the country. It's like that production has already moved outside the country. Vast majority of clothing is not made in the US. So it's not like gonna harm it that much. And, and on the flip side, it's gonna give these people a living wage that they didn't have before. Oh my God. Yeah. I can't believe American Eagle has been under fire enough for our American out apparel, excuse me, um, for them to like come out and say that it's like tough noogies, pay your people what you should be paying them. Um, so $14 Mm -hmm. is the minimum wage. I looked this up that the average that the, um, garment workers are making at right now is $6 an hour. That's huge Mm -hmm. difference. This is largely affecting women of color and immigrants. Hello. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's hard to believe like that. Okay. This bill was just passed. But this day and age where we like to talk about on Glossy and other publications as well, that, you know, brands need to be transparent. Customers are demanding transparency about the factory conditions and the workers and um, how you're treating your employees. So, I mean, how brands are still getting away with this, or they were up until now, until this was enforced by law, um, is wild. We obviously don't know much that's happening behind the scenes. Yeah. I do think just in general... um the average consumer is very uh, alienated from how most of the things they own are made. Uh, Like, I think we all sort of vaguely know that somewhere in the world, there are people in factories being paid not enough or nothing at all, maybe. Uh, Like, we we sort of know that that's happening, but um, it's not necessarily just in some distant place. It's happening right here in this country. And to and like, you know, for the record, it's bad no matter where it's happening. Uh, But you know, there is a cost associated with getting stuff super cheap. Um, the other thing is it's uh, it's notable to me when brands are very vocal about supporting women of color or or supporting social causes only in sort of superficial ways. Like it's, it's one thing to, you know, oh, our campaign is cast with very diverse cast. That's great. But you're also paying your vast majority, uh, your majority women of color garment workers nothing at all and that kind of undercuts any sort of credibility you get for the more visible kind of flashy uh efforts to to appeal to social causes and stuff i mean there's the paying the garment workers a 
a genuinely livable wage is vastly more materially effective at improving people's lives than, you know, posting something on Instagram that just like has some platitudinous caption of like, we support people of all races. And it's like, that doesn't really do anything. I mean, it's nice. It's not a bad thing to do, but it doesn't really do anything the way that just like actually paying, like significantly increasing the amount of money that you're mostly poor, mostly women of color workers are getting. That to me is just much more effective. Amen. I mean, authenticity, folks. <laughs> Check. It's also harder and more expensive. So I get that that's why a lot of people oppose it. But it is funny that you st- like you, like you said, American Apparel, they're already like have <laughs> such bad press for so many other things. And they're like, we also want to pay people less too, you know? <laughs> Keep your mouth shut. Well, good. This is impacting 40,000 people across 2,000 factories. I mean, happy day. For, for this community and sets a new standard. I mean, this is this is huge. This is great. Yeah, it is. It, and again, like I said, there, there's some caveats in there. Um, you have to have more than 26 employees, which I know sounds like uh, pretty small, but um, small businesses are just as capable of exploiting their employees as large businesses. I know I think people love to lionize small businesses and I think small businesses are great, but like just because a company is small doesn't mean they can't also you know, pay their employees terribly or treat them bad. So I do wish that it was kind of universal personally. Um, but, uh, you know, at least it, it, if you're trying to manufacture anything at scale, you're probably going to have more than 26 workers. So I think it does probably impact the majority of manufacturing in California. Agree. Cool. Well, if that's all, then we will wrap it up. Um, Jill, thank you so much. This was a wonderful conversation as always. And we will talk again next week. Thanks, Danny.